I think it stirs us out of complacency. It invites us to look at, at a situation uh, with fresh eyes. It helps us to disrupt our, our habitual practice and behavior and to, to inspire us to innovation and creativity. Uh, William Blake said, without contraries, no progressive. In other words, it's only in times of opposition that we really dig deeply into ourselves and confront our fears, test our resilience and resolve, adapt, and then find a, a new path forward. And so it's it's in that those times of, of crisis, of, of opposition, that we explore our dissatisfied needs. And dis dissatisfaction invites and compels innovation and creativity. So it's it's a blessing. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where we'll generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening in the world that almost no one knows enough about yet, but we're changing that at the Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is the parent website of this podcast, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, and we are talking to people who are definitely thought leaders in this wave of progress and goodness and people solving problems. And uh, today we're going to talk to an amazing man who's going to help us, you know, expand into some new perspectives that are just so helpful and so full of possibility for our times. So the purpose of this podcast is to share with you these people who still think the future is bright despite what's happening in the negative news cycle, because they're working on some of the most important problems in their world and they see progress every day. So I figure we need to know what they know. We need to know how they get around obstacles and how they perceive putting one foot in front of the other every day. And they are sharing some amazing perspectives with us. So today we're going to meet Peter McCoppin. Oh, I had a pre-call with Peter that just had me writing furiously as fast as I could because he kept throwing in sort of mind-blowing perspective after perspective that changed my day that day. So I hope that this interview does the same for you. Peter's become a thought leader at the intersection of three elements that I think fill many, many people's lives with joy. And I just love when people find ways to bring a lot of good together because it feels like a bottle rocket. And this is where we're going today. So Peter brings together media, music, and leadership. And, you know, I know most of us don't think, not most of us, but many of us don't think about the leadership aspects of our lives because maybe we've not been tapped on the head by someone and said, oh, you're a leader. But we're leading each other into a future, whether we're as parents, as friends, as, as coworkers every day. And Peter's going to help us with some aspects of that and share this beautiful love of music and media that he's developed a, a, a real role as an influencer in. Peter has been a professional broadcaster and host is his whole life on both radio and television in Canada. He's had a 30-year career as an international orchestral conductor with on four continents all at the same time. He's even been tapped by the British Columbia government organizations and nonprofits to do leadership consulting and, and talk. So we're in for a great ride here. Peter, <laughs> that's a lot. So welcome. Well, thank you. Your 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 energy, your enthusiasm, both are, are both contagious. It's just it's it's heartwarming just to be with you here today. Well, the feelings mutual because this is uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for about a month since we talked, and gosh, you know, your message just seems so appropriate for our times to me. Thank you. 
Thank so, you. you know, I thought I, I made notes when we were chatting the other day and I thought um, if, if people could share the same experience or nearly a similar kind of experience that I had sort of tapping into the way you're making sense of the world, it might be great. So we're not going to follow any format. I'm just going to bring up concepts that I wrote down and you can share the way you're making sense of the world in relationship to that topic. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Thank you. All right. So one of the things we had a normal conversation, like two people meeting each other for the first time. And one of the things you said that I just really loved, you said, crisis can be a gift if it awakens you to something that needed to evolve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, crisis always offers opportunity. Always. I think it stirs us out of complacency. It invites us to look at, at a situation uh, with fresh eyes. It helps us to disrupt our, our habitual practice and behavior and to, to inspire us to innovation and creativity. Uh, William Blake said, without contraries, no progressive. In other words, it's only in times of opposition that we really dig deeply into ourselves and confront our fears, test our resilience and resolve, adapt, and then find a, a new path forward. And so it's it's in that those times of, of crisis, of, of opposition, that we explore our dissatisfied needs. And dis, dissatisfaction invites and compels innovation and creativity. So it's, it's a blessing, a it, blessing, absolutely. You know, I wonder, I'd love to get your take on this. I'm involved in two worlds, two teams. I was a dentist for 30 years. So I still lead that team of 14 people. And uh, my husband is actually a dentist and also. And then I have the huge goodness exchange team. And in both groups, we run into friction because both groups are always trying to create a better version of ourselves. Every day we're trying to improve and, and neither group, they're all full of really nice people. And friction seems like the furthest thing that anybody wants to get near. But what I've decided is, our best moments are when we can have a little creative friction and come out the other end in some way that we could never have imagined when we started. I, I, I totally agree with you. The best cultures really embrace creative conflict. So, so that we're, we're investigating a situation, an issue from multiple, multiple points of view. And in such a way, we're, we're then wrestling each other out of our own unilateral bias. And we're vigorously exploring every possibility, every hypothesis in determining the best path forward. So having said that, I think it's also essential within any culture, with any team, with any family, with any group that is collaborating towards a unified effect, that we provide for each other psychological safety. In other words, we, we encourage each other to show up. And so that we're going to suspend judgment. We're going to suspend any aspersion and so forth and just welcome those ideas, putting aside our own bias, perhaps our own ego, just to really welcome these fresh ideas and to bring them together to really to a, in, in a almost in, a, in a, a symphonic form to arrive at really the best solution to move forward. Well, you know, and there's your orchestral conductor life experience. I'm sure it's metaphorical for how, yeah. how creativity and the best ideas come to the top. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting. So one thinks about a, a conductor as a person who is at least one could hold that presumption. The conductor is standing in front of, of a group and, and is directing the music. And when it's interesting to say that, what is the measure of the outcome? The conductor is not making any sound. It's all of those people 
all of those people in concert, synergistically, who are creating the symphonic experience, the sound, which is their collective created, whatever say, they're, they're correct. I'm sorry, how am I, I going to get around this? The example of or manifestation of their creation. So the conductor actually, yes, is providing for a forum which invites cross-organizational clarity and communication. The conductor is providing hopefully a compelling vision that unifies their intention, and they are the ones who are actually doing the work. So the conductor is a catalyst, much more than a director to that, that extent. And I, I think that, you know, even in our conversations, if we're, when we're engaging people, the intention there is to be provocative. In other words, to excite the voices of others and not to impose, but to invite and to elicit their, their response in a dynamic dialogue. Okay, I don't want us to miss that, that nice little point there. That word provocative. Mm-hmm. That's pro-voice, really. That's it. Yeah, I've provocative. never thought of it that way, Peter. Yeah, exactly. And we think in terms of leadership, <clears throat> I think about that a lot, actually. So what, what is, in fact, leadership? Leadership is the learned and practiced ability to inspire by our own example and excite human potential. To which extent then everyone potentially is a leader because every one of us holds the capacity, the potential to invite and excite and inspire the best in people around us. So it's not positional, it's not hierarchical, it's not a title, it's not a talent or a gift, but rather a learned and practiced ability. It takes, it takes effort, It takes humility and courage to explore that within oneself. And then it demands an intention to serve other people with love. Love being then the selfless promotion of the growth of another person. And and to do so with, with intention, with compassion, magnanimity, and in a spirit of service. I love that definition of love. Can you give that to us again? That's so great. Yeah, love is the selfless promotion of the growth of another person. Exactly. So it's not self-directed. It's not egotistical or megamaniacal. Not at all. It shows up in evidence. And true, as we go back to leadership too, great leadership, true leadership, I believe is not conspicuous. It's not supercilious. It's not self-focused. I'm the leader. I'm grand, grandiose. No. Leadership shows up in evidence. My team is doing well. My children are doing well. My friends and colleagues and family are thriving, and I've somehow participated in their fulfillment. How lovely is that? How beautiful. There's a Yiddish expression, which I really love, which is nachas, reflected glory. So when our teammates or our children or any, anyone within our circle of influence do well, and we have participated somehow to their fulfillment, to the realization of their hopes and dreams and goals, then we've, we're experiencing nachas. In other words, we stand in the shadow and glory in them in the light. And how beautiful is that? And I truly believe that the only things we get to keep are the things that we give away. So the joy of life is that, in that service. I was talking to a friend recently. He's a commander in the Canadian Navy. Lovely man, lovely, lovely person. And for the longest time, I was saying, well, you know, when, we're, when we are leaders, we are the wind under other people's wings. He said, you know, actually, from an engineering point of view, that's not quite right. If we think about the Bernoulli principle, so the shape of the wing in such a way that, that the wind passes over, and by that action, the plane lifts itself up. So we're not actually lifting people up. No, we are, we are giving them the, the, or creating a condition where they raise themselves up. 
And how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? Yeah. This is something I'm, I'm going to go down a little bit rap, a rabbit hole with you because you are talking to something that I'm scratching my head about these days. So maybe you can cast a light on it. I'm looking at these this category of people that are considered influencers and this whole world of influence, whatever that means. And I'm seeing folks that, you know, they don't really look that thoughtful. They don't look like, like they've got a really measured, helpful intention. They're just shouting or they're just egging on the chaos and the drama. And yet we are somehow compelled to give them our attention. Something, mm. maybe just the neuroscience of the way our brains are built. I'm not sure. But I really am thinking that a lovely movement is afoot. You know, the good, the good man, Rich, Mr. Rogers used to say, oh, lovely. In, in times of trouble, his mother used to tell him this, in times of trouble, look for the helpers. Always. So talk to me about what you were just discussing in the context, you know, of who we should give our attention to now. Because this seems to be at the crux of the problem is the way the internet works is everything rises to the top if we give our attention to it. Yet we seem built to give our attention to the people who are shouting or raving or or just elevating our particular team. So talk to me more about this mm. lifting of the world in a different way. Exactly. Well, isn't it fascinating how sometimes we're drawn to people who have the appearance of confidence. In other words, they come forth, as you say, loudly with a lot of bravado and the appearance of confidence. But my sense is that, that, that confidence, the word confident, from two Latin words, cum fide, with faith. These are people who have faith in themselves. I believe that true confidence in its expression is very quiet. The Dalai Lama is confident, confident. Doesn't have to prove anything, doesn't have, finds no need to overwhelm or dominate or champion. No, it's very quiet. And, and, and I think it, in, in these particular times where there is so much uncertainty, People, uh, many of us feel very fearful of the future. We, we don't know what to expect, what is coming. And so when we, we encounter someone who appears to be confident because of with their loudness and with their powerful voice and so forth, we're somehow drawn to that because they seem to be quite secure in their own point of view. And in point of fact, I, I think just my own assumption is that they're trying to prove to themselves that they really are confident and perhaps are not really so. And that can go, I'm not driving in any one direction. I'm just, I'm just going across the spectrum, left, right, center, secular, non-secular. The way the internet is working in our minds and in our lives, our online lives, is to just draw attention to the shouting folks, <laughs> whether they're on our team or not in our way of thinking. And I'm thinking we're all just switching over. We're looking for the helpers, the quiet, measured voices. That's it. And, and I, I think there's an, a human impulse there. You mentioned when we were talking that what we feed will grow. Oh, no question. Talk yeah, to me that's, about that. Uh, yeah, that's something to which I so strongly subscribe. So, we're, it's, so first of all, our choice of where we invest our attention, that is a free choice. That's a free choice. You know, perception is reality. So what, what, where are we choosing to put our focus? There is an expression which is the reticular activation system. In other words, we're training our eye to look for certain things. And in so doing, we discover them. Dr. David Bohm was the founder of the Implicate Theory of Quantum Physics. And he said, what we seek is evidence to what we find. If we're looking for something, we'll find it. 
And so a, a simple example to that might be that someone would say, you know, when I'm really successful, I'm going to buy myself a red Ferrari. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, I'll be so successful that I can afford a Ferrari. And of course, it's a distinguished car because it's the fastest car on the road and the most expensive. And it's red, so it's really conspicuous. And so he, this person is, this is focused on this, focused on this, and goes to pick up his, his car, drives off the lot and sees 10 of them. <laughs> in other words, we're, what we're looking for, we're going, to, we're going to find. And it both goes out and comes towards us. Similarly, in, when, when we're with people, if we hold an expectation, they are going to do amazing things, that they are going to, to, to really shine in their own brilliance, then they probably will. And, and if we acknowledge that and celebrate that, we'll even get more of it from them. The same thing with ourselves, to acknowledge, yes, indeed, you know, I, I actually did achieve this. I, I had a goal. I wanted to reach this goal. I achieved it incrementally, and I celebrated each little win along the way. And what do you know? I got more of it. So it's a very simple process, truly. Yeah, yeah. and I think it, it goes what we're learning. If you experiment with what you're giving your attention to, it goes both ways. You, you can only see doom and gloom because maybe, as you say, that's what you were unconsciously seeking evidence for was that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Yes. Or it can work the other way. You can you can look for evidence that the world is still full of remarkable people and great and great potential. Um, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so strongly, I, I feel that. And I think in, in so many ways, the world is a mirror to what we're putting out. So really to just to just to notice without judgment, just to notice, for example, how people show up to us from every aspect of our life. How are they showing up? Because in so many ways, they are mirroring what we are putting out to them. The people right in front of us are our best teachers. They're giving us immediate and spontaneous feedback and communication considering that communication is 90% nonverbal, just their, their nonverbal cues are telling us so much. All we have to do is gently to pay attention and say, hmm, wow, fascinating. I wonder what I need to do to in my own slight modification of my own behavioral pattern so that I would generate and invite a different response. That's a lovely way to think of our interactions on social media. I hate to diverge into something that that's sort of common, <laughs> considering the level that we're at with this conversation. But what if we thought of everything that we leave on social media as a digital footprint in the sand? Like, will it yeah. be positive? Will, will it be yeah. in the sand as our last word if it was? Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it, it's so interesting with, with social media and technology. And we might, I guess, some of us, maybe perhaps many of us would think that the world is drawn more closely together in an intimate experience of community by virtue of all of this technology than what we've ever had before. My sense is, and I said this actually to a, to a group of senior students in a private school here in Victoria, I started by a talk by saying, it seems to me that never in history have we been so technologically close and personally so distant. And I asked the people to respond to that. And so can you imagine? So this is a, a private school here in Victoria, St. Michael's University School, wonderful school. Young people come from all over the world to this school. It's, it's lovely. And so this was a senior class, 240 young people at eight o'clock in the morning. No teenager should be going to school at eight o'clock in the morning. They should be sleeping. I mean, my goodness, that's, that's their, their biggest growth period of their life. Anyway, so I, I said this and every, they were sitting all very quietly, very properly and so forth. And I, so I started with that statement. Seems to me that 
in history. We've never been so technologically close and personally so distant. What do you think of that statement? I think they were surprised because they probably thought I was going to talk at them for a while, whatever. But no, I invited them to come. And this young man stood up and he said, I totally disagree. I said, wonderful. Tell me about that. He said, well, you know, I could be texting to my friend in Kuala Lumpur. I can have a FaceTime with another colleague who's living in Australia, et cetera, et cetera. I said, yes, but considering that communication is 90% nonverbal, do you get that same sense of intimacy, immediacy that you would if the person were sitting in the same room? Some person said, no, but it's sort of second best. And I said, well, what, for example, if you're sitting in a restaurant and the people are close, you're texting the person who's across the table, but you're not even speaking with this person. How does that work? And where's the intimacy? So I think loneliness in the crowd is something that we're dealing with a lot right now. And, and this feeling of angst and uncertainty, it's, um, it's plaguing a lot of people. A lot of people. And I think the invitation is not to seek out, to look out there, whatever the solution is, but to go more deeply inside, to, to pause and contemplate, and just to find that stillness within ourselves. I think that's, that is what is key. Leonardo da Vinci said, everything we need to know is within nature itself. And if we look at certain natural patterns, it's fascinating to see how, how they show up. So for example, a tornado, at the core of a tornado, at the core of a hurricane, is complete peace, is complete stillness. So one, in a Buddhistic practice, we could say, well, at the core of us is our Tao. It's a place of complete stillness. So when we come, come up through all of this, this noise and so forth, and right into the center, there we find that place. In the Christian faith, one would say that's the peace of God that passes all understanding, that place of stillness. Lovely. So it's not out there. It's truly in here. And that, you know, that's something that that place of stillness or the, the almost the negative spaces where there's nothingness, uh, the gaps are what makes a beautiful piece of music um, special or a piece of modern art totally mesmerizing. It's what they didn't include. Abs I totally agree. Absolutely. The, the yeah. space between, the space between. Yeah, totally. Maybe that leaves enough room. I know I love the bolero. And I love the way it, it starts and invites me in so quietly because it leaves room for wonder. You and I talked about wonder the other day. And I love this feeding a sense of wonder because that's where we can fill the gap. I was chatting with someone the other day who talked about our commutes. Let's get practical here, Peter. You know, we have these two times a day, depending on what your work is, virtual or not virtual. But we used to have these two periods of day when we were off to work. The average commute is like 43 minutes or something like that. And then back home, it's a gap. It's the space of that could be stillness. It could be filled with learning. It could be filled with wonder. Talk to us about, about wonder. Well, it's interesting the way that you're saying that. It's fascinating the way that you express that. Because I'm, I'm thinking to myself that somehow we're compelled to fill our lives. You know, we're to fill our lives as if that filling is going to lead to fulfillment. And I think it's quite the opposite, actually. I think it's, it's finding those spaces of utter silence and stillness and within the mystery of emptiness that we really discover the essence of, of who we are. So if someone were to say to me, well, how are you doing? Are you busy? And I said, I don't want to be busy because busy to me would mean just, just filling every moment of the day almost mindlessly in a, in a, in a sense of self-justification. I'm busy, therefore I am. My life is worthy. My life is purposeful. No, 
the, the, the learning happens in the valleys between the peaks. So we have input and then reflection, input and then reflection. And to take that time of contemplation, of pause, to slow things down, to really just feel and connect to the core of, of our own essence, the stillness within us, which is in, inherent, which is phenomenal to all, all of us, is to find a place of rest and discovery. Mm. Well, I don't think we can take this topic much further without talking about Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we've all heard that book, that book, that book. I've got to read that someday. Most of us have said, or we even have a copy that somebody very wisely gave to us, but we haven't cracked it. You and I, that we came to mention that to each other. And you talked about our ability to choose our attitude in any circumstance. Which That's it. Yeah, exactly. You had Thank the story you. of Josh Stewart, the skier? Oh, right, of course. Well, first, just to, to touch on Viktor Frankl, if I may, and then go to Josh Stewart. Yeah, so Viktor Frankl, of course, was a Jewish Viennese psychiatrist. He was incarcerated in Auschwitz during the Second World War. And it was in Auschwitz that he had a life-changing experience. Because in Auschwitz, he experienced a few people, very few, who were given to humor in the worst of human depravity, torture, torment. And we're not, we're not talking about satirical humor or sardonic humor or ridicule, but humor, the true essence of humor, which is finding, see, seeing the folly in human behavior, humor. And he came to the realization that the last human freedom is our ability to choose our attitude in a circumstance. If people can be humorous in Auschwitz, indeed, anything, anything is possible. It was Viktor Frankl who said, it's not the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain that drives any of us. It is seeking meaning. Seeking meaning. Is our life meaningful? And by what measure is it meaningful? And who is to say what is meaningful in the first place? And how will that meaning be conveyed? How will that meaning be measured? Seems to me if we, when we really connect with that which is most dear to us, and we've, we help others to find that within themselves in their own way, not prescriptively, but provocatively, then we find that sense of connection and meaning. So going to Josh Duick, as by example, Josh Duick is a person that I know here, and he's a skier. He's now in his mid-30s. When he was in his early 20s, Josh Duick, uh, as he told me, he sat at my dining room table, he told me this in his own words. He said he liked all aspects of skiing. He liked the skiing itself. He liked the party life, the nightlife, et cetera, et cetera. And one morning after an ex such a, an experience, whatever, partying and so forth, he was out on the slopes in Whistler near Vancouver, and he was flying down the slopes and he came to this very sharp corner and he thought, I can negotiate this without even slowing down. And he flew off the mountain and fell headfirst 100 feet. And when he finally came to, there was a circle of people around him. They hailed to the medevac and he was taken to hospital. And at in hospital, the attending surgeon said two things to him. First thing was, you will ski again. That was the first impression. You will ski again. And the second thing he said is, says was, and you've lost feeling below your waist forever. You think this is an odd juxtaposition of statements. You will ski again, and you've lost feeling between, be, below your waist forever. And around that same time, Josh Duick had met a, a young woman named Lacey. She was a couple of years younger than, than he. I don't know how they met each other casually, whatever. And she decided that she wanted to come to visit him. She saved her money to do so. She'd heard about his injury, but she was not deterred. She was going to come and, and visit with him. And she got to the hospital, realized that he was in the ICU, and went uh, the second day that she was with him recognizing that he had lost feeling below the waist 
forever. She, 19 years of age, he 21, she said to herself, this is my life partner. This is my life partner. Anyway, about a year passed, Josh Duick, well, got to a place where he could be mobile again to, to an extent. Interesting, paraplegics have two rods, one down each, each side of their spine, two rods, and then 12 screws about two inches long to hold those rods in place. It's, it's, it's astounding. And, and the simplest things of going to the bathroom or something, it's just, it's just a major event for these people. Anyway, about a year later, someone came to Josh Duick and said, I would like to support you in your quest to ski again. So I'm going to buy you, pay for a, a sit ski. And Josh Duick then got on this sit ski, became the first person in the world to do a backflip on a sit ski. It's astounding. So after they were married, Josh and Lacey, they came to visit me here. And I was sitting at my table. I said to him, Josh, what did this event mean to you? And he said, it taught me the real value of being alive, the real value. Nothing has meaning until we give it meaning. We can look at this current situation in the world today and we say, oh, there's, we have the pandemic, we have all kinds of international crises, this and that, the stress in our global economy. Oh, isn't this horrific? Or we could say, oh, what an opportunity to look at things with fresh eyes. That would be my attitude. Because throughout history, there have always been patterns. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. What we're seeing right now has a historic precedent here in North America, 90 years ago. What was that precedent? The precedent was disruption, collapse, renewal. Well, certainly in the United States, for example, what would be disruption would be Henry Ford and, and the, uh, the assembly line. That, that disrupted manufacturing forever. Collapse would be the Great Depression. And renewal, Roosevelt's New Deal. My word. Well, now, because history repeats, it is cyclical. So now, would we have disruption? That could be Elon Musk or big te tech and data and al analytics, data hacking, whatever it's going to be, and collapse, yes, on a rather grandiose scale. And what's on the other side is going to be something distinctly different from anything that we've ever had before. To say, oh, let's go back to normal. When that history does not go backwards. Whatever it is, we will evolve to a new state. And I, and I feel that we've come to a place now uh, to an end of 2,000 years of patriarchy. Now we're coming into a feminine age. And that's, I find that so heartening. So that we're in the age of Aquarius. You know, it, what was the movie Hair or the film? What was it? Harmony and understanding and all the, yeah, absolutely. And isn't it fascinating to see more and more of feminine energy, distinctly feminine energy in positions of leadership around the world? I find it heartening, find really uplifting. And so, Again, going back for every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. I'm totally encouraged by what's going on in the world right now. We needed this disruption to look at, the, at our global condition with fresh eyes. Yes, no gain without pain. It's not comfortable. It can't be comfortable. Going back to creative conflict. But what's going to come out of this is something wondrous. I'm completely, completely hopeful to that. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I'm so with you. But we got we we have to go through that friction part. You know, that's just physics. That's it, you, of course. You generate the heat when you rub your hands together. That's yeah, it's 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 a transformation. It's it's yes, a transformation. And, and we can think about that. You know, a, a snake sheds its skin, whatever it is. All these things. This trend, even birth. You know, it's it's 
obviously I've never given birth, but I understand it. It's it's painful, and yet in its pain, it's it, it, it generates indescribable and exquisite beauty. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and and you know you can't look at the life story of a of a really renowned artist that brings us all brings many many people to a state of wonder with their work whether it's music or or any form of the arts without hearing that their story contained a lot of friction that's just the way it is there's no you can't get there without it uh, absolutely absolutely we, we we so quickly we so quickly looked at the success of someone without recognizing all the learning failure that preceded that moment of glory it, it's it, so I was a friend of mine was um, he's he's lovely. He is the CEO. He's just a young person. He's only thirty years old, and he's the CEO of a tech company. and And he's wanting to encourage his team. And, and so often they have so many failures. They try, and then something doesn't work, and so forth. So I gave him a very simple statement. I said, you know, Babe Ruth is a great American ball player, obviously, and he holds the record for the most number of home home runs. But he also holds the record for the most number of strikeouts. Let it be encouraging to you. <laughs> no game. <laughs> yeah. Failure is a part of learning. <laughs> That's it. We just want to fail faster, smarter, and better. That's it. That is, I, I did not know that remarkable little statistic. Yeah. I'm always reminding people that you can't get the home runs unless you swing. So. <laughs> You're right. Wayne Gretzky, our, one of our Canadian hockey players, and he said, yeah, you miss all the shots you don't take. It's true. Right, right, right. Okay, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a bunch of other really practical ways to organize our, our these new perspectives so that we can apply them every day. So that we'll sounds take great. A break, and I'll, I'll chat with folks about, about a place where you can get so much of this same kind of insight to fill your life with possibility. Beautiful. I'm enjoying it so much. Thank you. Dr. Linda here. If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for insight and innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded the Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete, positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee-deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and yet they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. And at the Goodness Exchange, you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the Goodness Exchange community. No one with good ideas and good intentions need feel alone again. You are right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world, and we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. Okay, we're back. 
So I am here talking with Peter McCoppin. Uh, <laughs> he's a renowned speaker in, speaker and in, innovator at the intersection of music, media, and moving forward. Our mindsets with sort of a everyone can be a leader every day, all day, if we apply a lot of nuanced thinking to these everyday moments when we could go down the negative rabbit hole or face the light and walk forward there in a, in a, in a more positive direction. So thank you for joining us, Peter. Great pleasure. Okay. So one of the things that we talked about that I'd really like to have your thoughts on is this, that leadership is not a behavior. It's not a title. It's not a hierarchy. You know, then if it's not that, like, how am I a leader in my family? I, I, I'll just share with you. I'm back in, in a cabin on the family farm in Illinois because I, I, my family has gone through the fourth funeral of immediate family members in six months. We've mm. lost a whole bunch of family members. And I'm really left thinking over and over again in these moments when I'm with my nieces and nephews or my husband's uh, brothers and sisters, like, oh, I'm called to say the right thing right now. How can I be my best self in this moment? Like, talk to us about everyday leadership and, and legacy and things like that, that really, mm. in the end, are our footprints in the sand. How lovely is that? Well, just to go back, so leadership, I do believe, is behavior. It's, it's not, it's a learn and practice behavior. It takes rigor. It takes discipline, patience, and persistence and humility to really examine our own behavior and then to, to monitor it so that, so that we continually, incrementally improve in our effect and our influence upon other people. So within a family or within a, in, in our leadership capacity, I think the most important thing to do is to be fully present, which is to, to when we're with someone, to give them our full full attention. And how do we do that? Just by getting into our body and breathing and being in that place of stillness. And then without imposition or any sense of, of overwhelm, just to be fully present to them, just to listen to them, just to listen. I believe that, that the answer for all of us is already within us. Michelangelo is a sculptor. He said, the image is in the stone. He just takes away the excess. If we're to be really present with someone, we're just helping them to take away the excess and find the magic which is within them inherently. And 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 to do so from a, a spirit of, what should I say, of compassion. What a wonderful word, compassion from Latin, compassione, with suffering. So we're just, we cannot know another person's experience. If someone were to say, I know just how you feel, that's absurd. We can each person's experience is unique. We can't know how another person feels. But we can be fully present to them to help them connect with their feelings and just support them, hopefully with clear questions that invite them to go more inwardly. And then to discover their own amazing internal resource, which is all really all they ever need. Mm, that is so much what I think I actually stumbled upon after the fourth funeral. And we're from a little farming town. So it's the same people at my mother's funeral as it was at my husband's mother's funeral from his brother and sister that passed. Okay, so what I'm noticing when you're speaking is this calm passion to be with people in struggle. That seemed to be my best move when I was talking to nieces and nephews that I don't get to see very often. Is it just yeah. really present? Yeah. Listen to understand, not to respond. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. To lead with questions, not answers. To suspend assumption and judgment. Yeah, and if we do, if, if we do hold judgments, 
And you have to say, what is that? What are my, there's so judgments tell me about me. What are my inner, what does my inner voice of criticism tell me about me? It's not about the other person. What does that tell me about me? And just to do so very gently, just take away the heat and just notice. I love that. Uh, there's a yoga teacher here in Victoria. I went to many classes with her. And she talked about just noticing things. Just notice. So we don't get attached. Just if you notice the clouds drifting across the sky, you don't judge them. You don't try to define them. They just are. And we just notice them. Just notice the thoughts going by. Notice what's going on inside ourselves. Don't get wrapped up in it. Become fr frantic or frenetic. No, just notice. Oh, gee, I'm feeling this way. Hmm, wonder what that could mean. I wonder. I wonder what's going on in this person. So one of the things I'm noticing when you, when you sort of, I love the suggestion to practice the art of noticing. I'm, I'm sure there's an art to it. We're all just, we're all just telling ourselves stories constantly, which may be wrong about a given moment or a given person or whatever. But what moment that I noticed was everybody, Chuck has this giant family. So we're all packed in this little tiny house. He grew up in seven brothers and sisters. Everybody's procreated really well. So there's like 40 of us in this little house. And the moments that were strange were the moments when somebody got out their cell phone. I mean, we were packed in for about three days after the funeral, after the visitation, before the this, that, the will, all the stuff. And when somebody got out their phone, it's it felt weird because it felt like they weren't present with the rest of us anymore. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, then I was tempted to tell myself a story about them. And it's just, uh, it's these stories we were tempted to tell ourselves. Isn't it? Fact? Yes, story. It is only a story. Everything is a story. And so again, going back to nothing has meaning until we give it meaning. What is the story we're telling ourselves about what's happening in the world today? It's a story. It's freely chosen, freely chosen. So, and to ask ourselves, going back to, what was her name? She was, she was quite amazing. Anyway, her, her three questions were, is this the truth? How do I know it's the truth? What if we're not the truth? Byron Katie, three great questions. Leadership is all about asking great questions and those questions we would ask of ourselves so byron katie those three words or those three questions is this the truth number two how do i know it's the truth number three what if it weren't the truth oh my word just a story now going back to the cell phone same kind of thing so here we are in an we're in an intimate experience but we're just we're just experiencing other each other sort of raw and real just there and the the intrusion of the cell phone now distances someone from that collective. Quite amazing. Sometimes I'm, I find it astounding now how addicted we are, or many of us are, to, to this, this phone. I am important. I'm, people are seeking me constantly. This affirms that I have importance in the world because people are texting me or calling me or whatever. It's just a story. And what are they actually saying and what's actually being delivered? God only knows. No judgment to that, just observation. Many times I meet with people and it could be in a formal meeting in a coaching session or in my home and the phone will ring and someone say do you want to get that i said no no our conversation is sacred if i were, i don't even know who that person is who's calling and if it's if it's that urgent they'll call three four five six times in a row and by the way if i were to go to that call it means what you're saying to me right now is of very little value and a person i don't even know who's calling is far more value is far more important what a what a signal that is to the other individual. A conversation is sacred. Let's just stay with it. Stay there in the moment, the power of now. Yes, and you know, I have to say, 
that one of the reasons why I noticed it when it happened over this three day, it was, you know, big Irish celebration kind of a passing. She was 94. So we all really was. Long life. Great life. Yeah, it was a vent. She had an amazing life. The reason why I noticed it is because it happens so infrequently. Yeah. It just almost never happened over a three-day course of these 20 to 40 people being together. And this is, I think, a something positive that's come out of the pandemic. I, I really do think it's given us all pause to look at these devices because there had to have been 20 to 40 of these in the room, right? Every single person had one. But, you know, I think the pandemic's given us a little bit of a pause to, to stop and think about what you just what you just said. What will I give my attention to now, this moment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The stop is a wonderful acronym because people have said to me, well, you know, when there's so much going on all the time, how can I be fully present? And I said, well, if you think of stop, so stop. So which is stop, take a breath. In yoga, the pranayama, what do we do to get into our body? In meditation, take a few deep breaths, get into your body, out of your head, into your body. And then, oh, observe, just notice what's going on. And now we can proceed. So we've actually built it into our practice, and it is a practice, to stop, take a breath, observe, proceed. It's it's invaluable. This is great. And I just want to remind people that that any of these things that Peter's offering to us as new perspectives are all going to be in the show notes. We have great, great show notes. So you don't have to, you'll be able to re-listen to that spot. We'll, we'll call it right off in the show notes and you'll be able to get some of these insights. So this brings me to something I wrote down that, that we cannot forget to chat about today because I found it so helpful and um, your way of explaining it. And I had never come across this thing of the Jahari window. Is that? Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that that's quite fascinating. That right? So, Yes. Yeah, so two people, I, I, I don't know. I never met these people, Joe and Harry, and they called it the Harry window. Anyway, so if we think about a rectangle in four quadrants, and as you were looking to me, we'll say this top quadrant will be public self and then private self and blind spots and unknown. And the, the general assumption is that the people that we most trust and those who are especially in positions of, of influence, those who are whatever, who by title, who, who by charge, so to say, are leaders, that they have proportionally a bigger public self. In other words, that they're available, that they're emotionally available. They don't play their cards close to their chest. We can see that they're transparent, they're vulnerable, they're open. And, and, and therefore, we, we, we feel com- confident and comfortable in their presence. Now, the, the interesting thing there, too, are blind spots. We all have blind spots. And the gift to all of us is to invite that, you know, that feedback from people around us to say, you know, am I missing something here? What do you think about that? So always asking, asking questions, just inviting that. Hmm, what would be a counterpoint to my point of view? Hmm, how interesting is that? And just to, to freely, there's the opportunity for growth, to notice something that we had not realized ourselves. And, and I think so oftentimes, that's, I do that in a, in a leadership course too, where we, we just ask questions and we, we debate, we, we co-create uh, behaviors to, to become more effective leaders. And one of the things that we debate, a statement is, we criticize in others what we fear in ourselves. Let's just think about that. What do our inner judgments tell us about us, not about another? How our reactions to another person tell us more about us than they do about them. What, what, what in their behavior, the representation, triggers us or awakens something in us that we haven't dealt with? Hmm. So discomfort informs. 
you're so spot on right there. There's a lot of there's a lot of times when the discomfort we have with others makes us walk away when mm-hmm. maybe we <laughs> maybe we should be hanging around a bit to have them, you know, even if we're just engaging in present, they can improve our way of thinking about something. Absolutely. What can I discover about myself that I never knew before? And and not to surround ourselves just with with people who who flatter us, sycophants. No, we don't want. No, we want people. There, there was a a person that I, I very much admired. Uh, so for for eight years, I was the music director of the orchestra in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the CEO of Bank of America in those days was Hugh McCall. He was an amazing man. Why was he amazing? Well. By his accomplishment, he led that organization through 63 mergers and acquisitions over 20 years. Now, that's that's an amazing achievement. Having said that, he was available. He surrounded himself with very strong people who would challenge him continually. He loved that robust dialogue. And at the end of his, his career, he basically took his severance pay and invested it back into the community. He was just an amazing man. And what I admired in him so much was his humility that he invited people just to really challenge at every moment. And he set that by his own standard. And I think to myself, this is really a servant leader. What an amazing guy. And they, going back to blind spots in the Johari window, they would, that he would invite people to say, where were my blind spots? What can I learn here? What are the areas that I'm, I'm just not noticing that, that are actually compromising my performance as the leader of this organization? How lovely is that? What if more people were to do that? Today, one of the most celebrated CEOs in the United States is the CEO of, of Netflix. And he's an amazing guy. He's written a book called No Rules Rule. No Rules Rule. Oh, what a thing. Oh, isn't that fascinating? And he talks about being vulnerable. In other words, being emotionally available. That is the first thing that he thinks is, is essential uh, as, for him as a leader. To have a, a, an open door policy. Anyone can walk. His name is Reed Hastings. Anyone can walk into his office at any, so to say, any tier or level of the organization and say, you know, we really made a mess of this situation. And we, we feel that you didn't make the best choice. He said, it's hard to hear. I'm so glad I heard it. I'm so glad I heard it. He welcomes that. He also believes that we have to have distributed cognition. In other words, great ideas can come from anywhere and that psychological safety is an imperative. Uh, There's a leader of these times. Mm-hmm. And this is the direction I, I talk to a lot of folks about new ideas in corporate culture and, and organizational culture. That's just, you know, the, the great resignation. We talk about it too much, but it is a driving force in, in yeah. what's next in business and industry and organizational theory. Right. And I love that, that, that one of the topics that always rises to the top is creating emotionally safe environments. I think we're always we're headed that way in a great way. So there are yeah. two topics I wanted to get your your take on that we talked about before we close here. Couldn't be better um, suited for as we wind up <laughs> because I think people will want to take the next steps with you. Um, one of them, just real quick, you know, I, I love this concept. If we're still on the leadership concept of instead of instead of feedback, we could change that to feed forward. Oh, I love that. I love that. that is that, 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 is, that is so progressive. So I, I was facilitating a, a leadership course here with some people from the Canadian Navy. Quite amazing. And this one person in that group, again, because it's, it's so collaborative. That's, I just lead with questions. I'm not 
I'm not directing the situation. Everyone, people support what they create. That is such a powerful statement. People support when people have authorship in their own decision, they will follow through, they will show up. Anyway, so this one person in the group, we were talking about feedback and he said, you know, we say feedback, but feed forward has that sense of, of progress, of evolution to a new state, transformation. I said, oh, this is just so lovely. It, yeah, it, it's it, amazing if we can just, if we can put our own assumptions aside, what comes up? One time I was, I was with a group of people and I don't know how the subject came up. We were talking about the golden rule. Now who would refute the golden rule? You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, really, who's gonna refute that? That would be politically completely incorrect, <laughs> maybe. And this one person said, you know, I don't really agree with that, really. So rather than, how should we say, jumping on this individual, everyone just said, oh, tell us about that. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, that presumes, if you say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that presumes that you are the standard. The, the way you see things and that you are, you, you're, you're the standard for all. And everyone should then somehow align to your standard. But the, the individual said, you know, it's much more, it's more compassionate and certainly more, more generous to say, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Oh, how interesting is that? It's beautiful. Very important twist. I think mm. we're ready for twists these days. We're, we're looking for those helpful, measured, thoughtful voices who have thought through what the old way of thinking was and said, oh, not working anymore. And they offer something new. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be radically new. No, it's just, it is an evolution out of which borrows the best of the past and transforms to a new expression into the future, which is adapted to a, a new, a different state. That's all. And that's, okay. yeah. This is uh, one of the things I'd like to close on you. And I had a nice little short conversation, which I think would be meaningful here at the end as we wrap up um, about how we choose our words more mm. carefully. The power of memes and, and that in, in our world, they're so powerful. And you were talking about, you know, what we think about, we bring about. That's true. And this, this word in being intentional is, is getting a little overused, but it's so true. And um, you mentioned a book, and I'd like you to comment on it that I want to um, point people to. You mentioned a book called The Secret Life of the Brain by Lisa Feldman. Mm -hmm. And how yeah. emotions are made. What's yes, yes. How emotions are made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. I think it's an outstanding book. And so she would say, for example, when when a certain event happens, we give meaning to it. And, and so but something happens. For example, right now we said this is pandemic. Oh, this is horrific. So now we've already defined. And so we say, well, wh how do wh wh why do we why do we give it that definition? Why do we give it that meaning? Well, then we go back to into our memory. How is this certain moment or event or situation similar to something out of our past experience. So it's from our memory. And then we get more granular to define it even more specifically. Having said that, we might say to ourselves, when we, we see something which is startling to us, rather than to react to it, to say, hmm, in this moment, it seems pretty horrific. What can I learn here? How can this be the best thing that could have happened to me today? How is this different from my past experience? And what can, how can I evolve through this, this new environment, whatever that is? And the power of the question. And when we change the question, we change the outcome. So immediately, 
by not being prescriptive and saying, oh, this is, you know, this is horrific, rather, and we turn that statement into a question, we can turn that around. It's so, so, the basis of cognitive therapy is perception is reality. But I remember studying the Course in Miracles, and there was, there was a statement in there which I thought was so fascinating, which is, prescription is perception. Prescription is perception. So what do you mean by prescription? We're overlaying something based on our past experience, which then gives something definition, whether it be true or not. Okay. And this is really at the heart of, I think, the division and contempt that we're experiencing. And, you know, we, that both those things, division and contempt, require our participation. Absolutely. So if we, if we decide what we're willing to give to it, our best selves or our worst, (laughs) the outcome is different. No. No. Our, our way of looking at the world is entirely full of possibility and, uh, and potential, or it's entirely full of fear and threat. We, yeah, and we ask ourselves great questions. And I think, you know, just on our daily practice, you, you know, it was Aristotle who said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. So if, if the goal for any one of us is just to, it's incrementally just to deepen in our practice, say as leadership, in other words, influencing others to by our influence to to really welcome the best in others around us, then set an intention for every day, whatever that is, write it down. So today I'm going to suspend judgment. Today I'm going to catch people doing something great. Today I'm going to seek opportunities of kindness, whatever. And at the end of the day, just ask five questions. What went well today? What was tricky or challenging? What did I learn? What could I have done better? How will I pay forward what I've learned today? And if we did that every day, imagine, imagine how much better life would be for us and then the people within our sphere of influence. Absolutely. Absolutely lovely. So, Peter, thank you so much for this lovely hour of full of possibility and new ways to think about the constant challenges that we're faced with. Because if all we've got is our old stuff <laughs> to throw at the new problems, we're, we're pretty much mired. But you've just kick down the door for me in so many different places that I will have new tools in the toolbox as life daily challenges me. Thank you so, well, well, so well, much. Well, thank you. Thank you for hosting this, this wonderful and inspiring series. And your enthusiasm is contagious. You, you invite people to show up. And we talked about in emotional safety. And I feel honored and privileged to, to be in, in this space with you today. It's just quite a gift. It's lovely. Well, thank you so much. How can people connect with your work more? Because I know people are going to go, oh, gosh, I got to I, I gotta go down this pathways. But what's next for people um, if they want to connect with your work? Oh, simply, if they would go to my website, I'd be honored. It's just www.petermccoppin, P-E-T-E-R-M-C-C-O-P-P-I-N, petermccoppin.com. All right. Well, this is the world we're in. We can choose who to give our attention to. And I hope people continue a journey with you that is expansive and elevating like you've been in my, in my world today. Thank you. Many, many blessings to you. Thank you, Linda. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, remember to join us at the Goodness Exchange and, and 
use the insights that we're we're shining a light on here at the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast to catapult yourself out of the whatever complexities the, the pandemic has made for you into this new world where we all have a shared future that can be as bright as the one Peter just pointed to. We all have a choice. So thank you. I hope all the connections that Peter and I talked about, and we're going to get every one of them in the show notes, will send you out with a spring in your step and you will find all the wonder that he and I have been talking about. Have a great day. Thank you.